Hello everyone, welcome back to the Take 6 Africa Film Podcast. If this is your first time, then karibu sana and uh, my name is Samuel Tebandeke. I'm a creative filmmaker, um, content producer and recently, as of this year, became a distributor. So, fun journey. Um, I'll be taking you on one of these fine days. Um, this is episode 8. Yay! And um, it's been a wonderful journey taking on this challenge. And I took on another challenge because we've been doing one podcast a month. And now we're going to do two episodes a month. So, uh, and this particular challenge was posed to me by this guest of mine on this episode who asked me to start doing two episodes. And he said, what's stopping you? And I thought, nothing at all. And I was supposed to start this in September, but hey, I had enough content to do two episodes a month so here we are uh, welcome and enjoy and on this particular episode we talk about uh, chi in african literature wouldn't you know that anyway have fun this is the second time we're trying this i might actually the third time <laughs> oh yeah so let's 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 hope this goes well. Let's but hope. you know, let's I'm, I'm prepared for, for whatever. Okay, let's hope we don't have to yeah. for five G. Oh my God, five G! Like I heard, no, uh-huh. no, I did, well, okay, around the time when they had these conspiracy theories about uh, Corona being caused by five G, so I went down a rabbit hole, okay. and I discovered, like there were a couple. Of course, I I found uh, which countries were dealing with five G. Um, and which ones had resisted. And then, interestingly, I found out that Safaricom is actually testing 5G. Yes. In this here in Kenya. Yes. Yeah, which is, which is, <laughs> it was quite, quite bizarre. I was like, wow. Okay. But not that I'm trying to stoke any 5G related, Corona related conspiracy theories because none of those have been proven or tested or whatever. Yeah. It was just interesting how, you know, you like the things that seem to bother the world and much closer to you than you'd think. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so we were talking about chi and you were telling me about chi and your first encounter with chi, this energy field called chi or this energy life force called chi. Yeah. I, I feel like at some point in this conversation, we should go back to the conspiracy theories because they're always fun. But for now, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. So the first time I read about Chi was in Things Fall Apart. And it's repeatedly mentioned and is very significant and important to the story. Do you think he was influenced by Eastern philosophy? Mm-hmm. And then, secondly, why do you think he focused so much on it? He focused so much on it, as you say in the book, but. Is it because it is something we also have in, in African, you know, tradition, this life force? Uh, that's, eh, that's a loaded question. Okay, that's question one. <laughs> what, what question uh-huh. I get into one? Question one was basically, do you think he was influenced by Eastern philosophy? Yes, I know. Complicated answer. I think no, because there are certain parallels throughout mm-hmm. all let me say, civilizations from all over the world, especially from 200 years going back. 
like the Brazilian Amazonians, Japanese and Chinese, the mm-hmm. Indians, most yeah. if not all African tribes. There's so many interesting commonalities about our thought process on you know, religion and spirituality and energy and karma and our connection yeah. to the world, to plant life, animal life. It's so fascinating that all these very far removed cultures and communities and civilizations have some very similar, you know, foundation. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's why I'd say no. Okay. Yes, because for a long time, there has always been travelers. Mm. Like Marco Polo going to China, you'd find black samurais in Japan. Yes. They make and, a movie about black samurai, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's possible, maybe not very possible, but it's possible that some of these thought process and learnings were interconnected. Mm. Like there was a traveling teacher or priest or it is or healer who traveled from one region to another and brought on mm-hmm. some lessons and learning and etc okay yeah so it, i think you've actually answered question two as well because you know you've answered one and two in one. <laughs> oh, awesome yeah so and the reason why i asked this question is because you're in marketing Yes. Is that not true? Okay. Yes. Now let's start by having you introduce yourself because I have this very horrible habit of, of, of starting <laughs> guests off without them talking about themselves. Just basically tell mm-hmm. us your full name, mm-hmm. tell us what you do and how you ended up doing it. And then we can take it from there. Okay. Uh, how much time do you have? Uh, a lot. <laughs> Enough for you to tell us about yourself. Okay. Okay. Uh, so my name is Dean, Dean Geshoke. I work in marketing, but marketing is really the tool. I generally work in business development, which is helping businesses and people make money. And one of the direct ways I do that is through marketing. Okay. So you're in business development with a strong leaning towards marketing. Yes. Well, a huge part of business development is marketing. And there's no point of marketing if you're not developing a business. So it's an interesting Venn diagram. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm technically a retired artist. Oh, really? Yes, but I, I, I tap back into it every so often. Okay. Yeah. You are so... in film. Do I have it correct? You are in film. Yeah. Yes. So I started off as a sketch artist. Mm-hmm. Then in primary school, I wrote a novel. Mm-hmm. Then I became an actor in high school. Mm-hmm. Then became a scriptwriter. Then mm-hmm. a producer, which like guided me towards marketing. Wow. Yeah, so you perform the story as an actor, then you realize you need stories to perform. So I wrote them. And then (laughs) after writing, you need to make it. So Mm -hmm. I didn't direct, I produced. Mm -hmm. 
and then while producing and you're done with the production and it's edited and final, mm. you need to sell it. True. Or, or at least get it seen. So you're basically a one-man value chain. Uh, I use, well, not even use <laughs> I just moved up the value chain. I see. Yes. And so rarely will you see me do everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I think that was that was a good um, good background. If you if I if I'm to think about it, because you understand the process of making the work, yeah. distributing the work, yeah. positioning the work, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And why why particularly did you stick with business development? Because uh, I, I think one, there's a huge need for it. It's a challenge for everyone. Mm. From the biggest to the smallest. Yeah. From the apples to the small Kenyan filmmaker trying to sell a short film. Yeah. It's a challenge for everyone. Because I, mm. I realized very early on, mm-hmm. I know hundreds, maybe thousands of actors. I know dozens, maybe hundreds of writers. I knew very few people who were producers and or marketers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to be honest, it's also one of the best but interesting ways of earning a living. Mm-hmm. There are easier ways, there are harder ways, but for me, it's quite interesting. And I keep growing and learning every single day. Wow. Yeah, okay. which um, you maybe wouldn't be able to do in some roles. And then it's yeah. done, I think, that just my personality and makeup just latched on to the most. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um. You know, because what, what, what we try to do on the podcast is try to get within people's motivations for doing things and a lot of the times you find that you, you someone tells you they do this thing and you're like why why on earth are they doing this thing and you don't yeah. realize where where it all comes from yeah. so it's nice to know i mean you know yeah so now let's let's run back to technology yes and um and technology will also delve into the, the thing that you're currently doing but at a later stage yeah. um so here we are, We've, we're reading Chinua Achebe, right? Yeah. Things fall apart. He's talking about chi, yeah? yeah. By, some for, by some strange stroke of luck or serendipity, it happens to be the same chi that, you know, is in Eastern philosophy. Yeah. And for me, I see the interconnectedness of the world and, yeah. how, and how we influence each other. Do you believe there's like a... Like, in the current times, is it possible to create work without being influenced by another? Uh, by another country, person, etc. Another work, but you're basically being influenced by something external to you. Yes. Short answer, yes. Very, it, it's impossible to create in a vacuum. Mm. Mm. Uh, I'm going to destroy this quote. Please, please don't bite me for it. But I think Picasso once said, the, the mm-hmm. best artists copy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was really saying that, well, yes, there are some blatant 
photocopiers, mm-hmm. you just copy someone else's work. A lot mm-hmm. of it is connected inspiration. Yeah. Like you are, there's a source that is outside of you that you mesh with your own journey, struggle, sensibilities, personality, that makes that work mm-hmm. your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I do believe that as an artist, input from the outside world is one of the most powerful things. Now, of course, meshed with your subconscious. Okay. Yeah. So as you, like, you probably deal with artists and trying to, what's the word? Trying to put, get them to position themselves to the kind of audience that their work could speak to. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you go about that process? Uh, I think the first step really is understanding. Mm-hmm. As in marketing, and most people in the technical side, it's very easy to go in and do what you want. Mm-hmm. Probably the easiest thing, because, you know, uh, confidence and arrogance, tells you that you know what you need to do. But at Mm. the same time, you need to understand the creative stroke artist who is putting in the creative input and to enable them to make money from that input. Mm. And it's, honestly, it's a very fun process, just uncovering and understanding the thought process and the story behind the why and figuring out how that why can translate into impact and then how that impact can translate into money. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's like a three-step journey. So there's quote-unquote creativity, mm-hmm. impact, and money. Okay. Yeah, so it's, to be honest, a really fun process. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be a bit intensive at the beginning, and you and I have had conversations where mm. most of the conversation was me asking you questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and I'm wondering why on earth you're not getting it. <laughs> why does he keep asking me these questions? Exactly, but it's it's an interesting, you know, challenge with being an artist is yeah. that you're so locked in in your head and in mm-hmm. your process that you don't realize the rest of the world isn't there yeah i get that yeah makes and, sense and the job of marketing really is communicating to create an impact uh-huh. so my job is communication like that's it like it's mm-hmm. not oh to force to gimmick to do yada yada no it's good to communicate a specific thing and get a desired mm-hmm. result. So I have to understand what we are communicating. They yeah. To understand the person who's communicating. What are their sensibilities? What will they do? What won't they do? And at this point, as a marketer, you have to sort of turn off your ego. Mm. And what you, you know, from an in, in emotional standpoint, disagree with and just listen mm-hmm. and pay attention. And then now you can brainstorm stroke away forward. Most of like the marketing Bible, quote unquote, is very straightforward. 
Like this is yeah. how you do social media. This is how you do PR. This is how you do etc. etc. So it's really plugging in this specific story into that tried and tested model. And it does change, but it's very minimal, to be truly honest. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. So you talked about tried and trust and tested models, but um, has it has you have you ever been in a situation where? the tried and tested methods did not work as you anticipated yes so tried and tested really it's it's like how do i it's like a bus mm. like how a bus moves from point a to point b what a marketer <laughs> can do is change some of the elements so maybe you change the seating, you change it to face me, maybe you put the seats on the ceiling, change the paint mm. job inside and outside the vehicle, you change mm. the sound system, you change the screens, all that jazz. Yeah. But mm. the bus is the bus. Mm. Now you might change, for example, the sound system and the driver can't drive as well as they used to. Yeah. Or you may change the seating and it's too heavy on the wheels. Mm -hmm. So there's always there, there always has to be an understanding of the bus, quote unquote, before yeah. you build on top of. And when you do ignore the bus, you suffer. The flat tire, uh, stopped by the police, yada yada yada. Mm. Yes. Now sometimes you might have done everything right but the road is under construction for example mm. or there's an accident ahead or etc etc this is a very interesting metaphor but anyway i'm i'm like i'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to keep up because at least let me see if i get it the bus is the like if i get it correctly it's like a market mm. the marketing what would call the world of marketing it, and within the, the bus marketing yes the process so within the bus are the different elements Yes. If it's electronic media, if it's traditional media, if it's print media, da, 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 all those things. Word yeah. of mouth. Yeah. 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 The tactics, basically. Yeah. The road is basically the world. Actually, everything outside of that is the world and, the, and you know, the uncertainty that could arise. Am I, am I with you? Am I, am I in the same okay. wavelength? Yes, yes. I just need to rephrase it a little. Okay. So, the end goal is mm -hmm. the customer doing something yes or the client or the consumer that's the end goal that's the destination yes mm -hmm. the road is the journey towards getting that yes mm -hmm. now generally a customer needs anywhere from two to six points of contact like with marketing for them to make a positive decision Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like uh, building the story for the customer to buy. So that's the road. Yeah. So you can mm -hmm. easily say the road is the social media platform, is the email, is the YouTube, the newspaper, etc. etc. It's the how you get to the customer. It's the path to the customer. Mm. Now, the bus is just a transportation device. Yeah. 
what's in the bus is the story. Okay. So the this company, this is what it does, this product, this is the value of the product. Uh, this is how this product will help you, etc. etc. And your job, quote unquote, as the marketer, is to transport this conversation through mm -hmm. marketing channels to the mm -hmm. customer. Maybe the okay. analogy isn't a hundred percent straight, but I think it's close. Yeah, me, I feel like I'm doing an exam right now. I like I'm trying to understand. Okay. I'm, oh, by the way, mm -hmm. so as you say it, mm -hmm. my mind is forming around it. So I get, but I understand. I, I, I think I get. I'm getting what you're saying. So sometimes the channel may not work as you anticipate, or something may. There's a glitch or something. The algorithm may not favor you, for example, yeah. if it's a video. That, you know, that the road's it's... having problems, basically. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you should have maybe I should have gone through a later analogy, but you get it. You're a smart young man. And I know you are listeners <laughs> are too. So they'll they'll get it. Okay. Yeah. So so really the job of a marketer is to prepare this story. Mm -hmm. for the customer okay yeah i do wonder though is there a situation of over marketing like can it possibly happen that you over market yes in different ways the first one is called spam mm -hmm. where i'm sure even you have received a marketing a piece of marketing communication that you didn't appreciate Mm -hmm. that you didn't like, that you didn't think was meant for you, mm -hmm. that came in a very unsavory way. Mm -hmm. And it created, you know, a sort of bile, a sort of unhappiness. Mm. So that is a process of, of, it's possible to consider that of a marketing. There's, of course, you know, miscommunication or outlet uh, lying where you promise something in your communication. And because you are really focused on converting this sale, you lied and hence overmarketed, and hence the customer is unhappy when they do get the product and it's not what they thought it would be. Mm. Uh, marketing is marketing stroke advertising mm -hmm. is like invasive graffiti. Mm. Like you see it every single day. Okay. Like if you do a normal eight to five and you're on your phone, by the time you leave the house to the time you get back to the home, you'll maybe see about anywhere from a hundred to maybe a thousand points of marketing and advertising communication. So it's very intensive. Mm. And that can be considered over marketing. Okay, but well, I, mean, I was considering, like, for let's say you're trying to market a film, for ex like, as an example, and okay. you've put together all your assets, your behind the scenes materials, your your stills, you know, basically your messaging, your trailers, teasers, all that stuff. Yeah, the posters and things, yeah. and so basically you go on an aggressive, you know campaign yeah. to get people into the into the into the 
whatever platform you decide to exhibition platform, whether it's the cinema, whether it's online, whether it's in the video hall, you know, yeah. and you do that consistently for about four months. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm, I'm wondering about. Is there a case where people are like, okay, by the way, I'm tired of seeing this thing. Can it just go away? Well, yes, you can. That's definitely, yes, you can tire them with your marketing, especially if it's significantly repeated to the same person. <laughs> but how do, you, how do you strike the balance, you know? Uh, well, the first as let me backtrack it a little bit. Let's mm -hmm. assume we're in Nairobi, Kenya, and you're mm -hmm. making a Kenyan film. Yes. So the, really the first step of marketing is based on assumptions. Yes. So you have to assume certain things about your target audience. Yeah. So you have to assume that they like movies. Mm -hmm. You have to assume they like your genre of movies. Yep. Yeah. You have to assume they like Kenyan movies. Yeah. And you have to assume they like that length of movie. Mm -hmm. And maybe a few, like 10 other separations, just yeah. based on the fact that it's a movie. You have to assume mm -hmm. the money to buy a ticket, they are free on that day, they care enough to watch it. Mm -hmm. to bring a friend because very few people go to the movie alone yeah they would rather not maybe watch netflix and brave the cold and possibly corona to go to the theater so you have to make a ton of assumptions yeah and hope that of the hundreds of thousands and millions of people you speak to mm. a few hundred or thousand of them come through for you yeah yeah so now once you do that that's where you should technically begin marketing now the hope at this point is that even if you overmarket, you've inspired enough curiosity and maybe positivity that they do want to come mm. despite the overmarketing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, because okay. So I'm 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 post I'm when post production on a on a film I'm I, I'm I co I'm co producing. Yeah. And um, we're trying to figure out this mark this basically marketing campaign and how we're we going to do it. What what do we have? when do we start you know and so all those are decisions and now when you know i'm now starting to think okay this whole over marketing thing i've never actually considered it it's just that it just hit me as we were talking that i get a lot of unwarranted unwanted ads in my inbox in my on my social media wall everywhere and I'm wondering how do you rise above that noise? Yeah. Well, uh, so there's an interesting, oh, first of all, if you are marketing, really marketing starts before the script is written. Yeah. 
So in Hollywood, they announce a project, for example. Mm-hmm. And this is mostly a PR exercise where they talk to the major uh, purveyors of news that uh, this so-and-so story has been optioned by this studio and mm-hmm. they shall get into production. Mm. For example, Marvel will release a poster of the next maybe 10 films they're doing over the next maybe six years. Yes. So that's an annunciation of a project. So that's for the core fans who might be interested in this project mm-hmm. to really start the conversation. Mm. So ideally, sorry for the pressure, but ideally that is where you should have started. Oh yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Uh I think the key thing that there are really two key things that I would like most filmmakers to consider. Yeah. Uh, please use the path of least resistance. <laughs> like make please it as easy as possible for your audience to watch your movie. Make it what? As easy as possible. Okay. For your audience to watch the movie. Because mm-hmm. it's, I, unfortunately, especially as an artist, I understand this very well. But it's so easy to get lost in the gimmick. Yeah. Like, this movie is about, you know, the warriors of Chukana. So let's premiere it in the middle of the desert. Okay, cool story. Really cool idea. Uh-huh. But at the same time, you can't, like, tell financiers or marketers that you want, let's say, 5,000 to 10,000 people to attend. Yeah. Because your customer will be like, "Uh, do I have to? And the interesting thing is, rarely is there ever something that happens that no one goes to. It's never zero. There are always those very strong, passionate fans, Mm -hmm. a filmmaker of a story, of a genre, that will show up. Yeah. But unfortunately, five, ten people might not be enough to make your film successful. Definitely. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. however, there mm-hmm. might be five, ten influencers who will tell mm-hmm. a thousand other humans about your film. Yes. But what you do for that is you tie the gimmick with the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm where you say, okay, the premiere mm. in the middle of the desert, five to mm-hmm. let's say 50 people, hopefully some of them influencers, will come through and talk about it. And the next day, those five to 10,000 people can go to a theater in Nairobi and watch this film. Okay. But technically, your influencers are not your customer. In fact, they are part of your marketing plan. But your focus is the customer. So you still provided the easiest route for your customer. Okay. Yeah. Um, hmm. Interesting. So, so today we had a call and we're wondering about, I mean, it's probably outside the scope of the work you do, but you know what? It's probably Mm -hmm. something that you're doing. Um, so we're trying to figure out how to release this film. Uh-huh. Given this wonderful, wonderful 
-hmm. opportunity posed by COVID-19, and I'm choosing to look at it as an opportunity because if I say it's a disaster, then it's a different thing. So this opportunity, Mm -hmm. which means that we now have to be creative. We have the opportunity to be creative with not just the marketing or the promotion of the film, but also the exhibition of said film. Yeah. And so now I think one of the things that we're probably going to do, and this is going to be an experiment, is try and release it online. Okay. But through a platform where you can pay. Okay. And I know that uh, Disconnect did this. Mm-hmm. I actually watched it through their Coco Prime account. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what happened afterwards. They took it off. But that kind of limits the audience because now if, if, if we're going to go into the near future, we don't know, but we assume where there'll be even social distancing post post lockdown. Yeah. That limits the audience, right? Yes. Money, money is a customer barrier. Yes. Exactly. And so, so you have less people in the audience. Mm-hmm. The theater is going to charge you the same amount of money. Yeah. So technically, you're in a loss, you know, an extra an extra loss yeah. because where you would have filled the theater, now you cannot. Yeah. And charging higher yeah. may not necessarily work in your favor because someone will say, "I'm paying a thousand. I could literally go and pay for Netflix for eight hundred bob." Yeah. And I have a wealth of fantastic films. Yeah. Yeah. So then I ask my my question. Mm-hmm. How do you build an audience given these circumstances? Uh, the Chinese say the best time to build a tree is 20, to plant a tree is 25 years ago. Yeah. Second best thing. Starting now. Well, first of all, uh, I will send you and you guys an invoice for my consultation services. Yeah, oh, please. <laughs> I'm giving you free marketing exposure. Look at you. (laughs) You know, stuff for telling you. This is exposure for you. Actually, people can be very disrespectful. (laughs) It's very interesting offering someone in marketing exposure. I know. You're very, very ironic. I know. Uh, This is where really business development comes in. Mm-hmm. Your focus is to make a profit. Yes. When showing this film online through a pay platform. That yes. Talk. Well, that's that's a p- potential plan in my head. Okay. I don't know what the rest of the team. Okay. So I I personally love numbers. Mm-hmm. Numbers never lie. Unless if they're cooked, they're okay, cooked, okay. cooked numbers. Okay, good point, good point, good point. <laughs> but generally, numbers don't lie. Well, someone can this make them lie, mm. but numbers themselves don't lie. Okay. Uh, the yes, of, it is true. The process of making a profit off a film mm-hmm. is a, a very long process. Hollywood regularly distributes films that do not make a profit over the first over the theater run 
Mm. But at five years, 10 years, 12, 15 years, even up to 25 years, mm -hmm. some of those films yeah. eventually pull a profit. Okay. A comfortable average timeline of turning a profit is around seven years. Wow. So this I'm going to wait seven years to my money. Well, I've made four other films in that time. <laughs> so the it's it's now you know the rules of the business. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I didn't write them, I found them. So I'm adapting to them. So mm. I think the number is about 98% of films that release that are released in theaters do not make their profits from theater. Mm. Which means most 98% of movies do not make their profits in the first, let's say about three, four months. Okay. Which means slightly hold your horses. Mm -hmm. Be a bit patient. But most important, mm -hmm. come up with a long-term game. Okay. Yeah. So what you're saying is, it's almost like investing in a company shares. Don't rush to sell as the company is growing. Wait for the company to stabilize and then consider selling. Kinda. In that way, this might not be the best analogy. Yeah. But, but basically, play the long game. Yes. Which is which is solid advice, okay? And I'll, I'm acknowledging that it's solid advice. And one of the things I also want to say is that it's uncomfortable. How do you tell an art? How do you get an artist to see that? You know, to see it from that point. Oh, a, a producer. Well, to be especially mm -hmm. given that mm -hmm. we are basically grabbing this money from our pockets yeah. to put into the film, hoping that we will make back that money. Well, the first hope is that you're able to have this conversation early, before money mm. people's pockets. That's hope one. Okay. Hope two yeah. is that they're able to understand the why. And hope three, mm -hmm. they're willing to fight against the why. Where, okay, it may take seven mm. years, but how can we take it to three? or to two or to one and even if we are unable to we understand why because i think really the biggest challenge for artists is education mm. and mm. not really just being told but also understanding why mm. and not having because when you understand you don't have a significant you know emotional backlash towards it you don't hate the information. You don't hate the person delivering the information. You understand why you're yeah. getting this information and why it's like that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, quote unquote, you hope you're able to communicate this earlier. Now, how do you make your money back is really the question. The first step is okay. it has to be a plan. It's better to have. Mm. A terrible plan that no plan so the first step is having a plan specific to making your money back creatives and artists do some very interesting things that i personally find very curious they will look for the best 
yeah. cinematographer that they can find, stroke a fault. But you'll not do the mm-hmm. same in making their money back. Mm. And you'll have this amazing film and you just that you can't sell. Torturous process to create uh-huh. that you can't even get to the position of speaking about selling. Mm. Yeah. It's very curious. I understand it, especially in my background. I really understand it. But it's very interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah. Just, like, personally, I'm not the best cinematographer. Mm. So I'll try and get the best. If I can't afford it, I will either reduce my expectations mm-hmm. or I'll or I'll figure out a way to stall for now, get some budget together and mm-hmm. do what I need to do to get the best cinematographer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, one of the things I do realize about Hollywood, and now just thinking about it, like when they go to these film markets, yeah, they've already started selling the film. Yeah. Like this film's going to have this star, and it's been bought, it's been produced by Bad Robot, yeah. Paramount, blah blah blah, and yeah. Sundance, you know, Skydance, whatever. Yeah. And so you're like, wow, this is going to be an amazing film already you're hyped yeah and then they keep they keep you know sending you stuff like marvel uh avengers mm-hmm. infinity war i think i saw the advertising a year in advance yeah. like the first the teaser or like set images or what you know stuff like that so that's stuff already that's being sent out yeah but like you said this plan was created before they shot anything. Yeah, and sometimes even before they got a director or a writer or you see, they had at least an understanding of how they were going to actualize it. So again, yeah, the bus analogy. The color changes, the seats change, but the bus is the bus, the road is the road. Yeah. You just change some of the minimal elements. And sometimes you're able to do a few very radical things like Black Panther. Mm. Yeah. But the road is the same, the bus is the same. It's a film, it has actors. Mm. Yeah. And then another curious thing that most people don't realize that Hollywood does is mm-hmm. okay, most businesses have a marketing budget of around 30% of the total budget. Yeah. So it's a big failure for most businesses, not just creative industry, that they do not have that amount set aside. And it's the biggest yes. failure of especially small businesses. Mm. Film and creative industry, sometimes the budget is anywhere from 100 to 500% is marketing budget. Mm. So a film might have a budget of $100 million and spend yeah. about $400 million in marketing. <laughs> Wow, I don't even understand that logic, but yeah. it's okay. And when you see a budget of a film being advertised, that, oh, this movie cost yeah. $250 million, rare mm. is the marketing budget included. 
No, no, no. It's never included. Yes. So when it's they just say, to shoot the thing. Yeah. So when they say they spent to fifty, and made five hundred, and hence that was a loss, and people are confused. Mm. It's because mark you didn't have a marketing budget. No, like like um the Force Awakens, Star Wars, the Force Awakens. Yeah. The production budget was two fifty million. The marketing was one fifty million. So that's your four hundred. But also, what people may not may not take into account is that the cinema does not belong to Disney Lucasfilm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in this case, Lucasfilm has to pay, which is now part of Disney anyway. You could just say Disney yeah. has to pay fifty percent of all revenues yeah. to the cinema. Yeah. Then they have ten percent or whatever sales tax goes onto that. So basically, you're working with forty percent. Yeah. So even if they make a billion, yeah. So just basically, they've made five hundred million, in a nutshell. Uh, yeah, as a starting point, yes. And on top of that, there are all these people who are participating in, yeah. you know, the profits. So you know, people get back-ended quotes like stars who get like a percentage if the film crosses a certain threshold yeah. like for the guys of star wars that the, the latest trilogy they promised them a bonus once they the film crossed one billion yeah so now that to kick in so that all goes into the expenses of the company yeah. so if it the film has to overperform so yeah. if a film makes two billion ah you're like okay we're good you get yeah now we're in, we're in profit yeah i had a distributor friend of mine who told me uh, she was a sales agent, actually. She said, for a film to make a profit, it needs to make four times its production budget. Yeah. Which is which is disheartening. I mean, but I think maybe that's kind of like, um, if you go the traditional route of theatrical releases. Yeah. So I think that that's when the mathematics works like that. But if you're going like Juakali, you know, self-distribution. Yeah. Then maybe the math might be a bit different. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's to be honest, it's a bit of a messy business. There are a mm. moving parts. Significantly difficult for indie storytellers to make it. But I think indie storytellers have certain abilities that most majors can't or won't have. Mm like ability to have extremely reduced budgets yeah ability to take advantage of the film festival circuit ability of telling some very risky interesting stories ability mm. to get some interesting mainstream and uh alternative press mm -hmm. yeah so it's in as much as it may seem zero sum and an impossible task for an indie, there's still some positives. And hey, if, if you make, the, the true definition really is making a profit. No one, yeah. does, it doesn't really matter whether you spent 10,000 or 100,000, which is a million, or etc, etc. As long mm. as you made as some amount more than that, you've made a profit. Mm. Yeah. So the key for indies, I'd say, step one really is reducing budget as much as possible. But then you're compromising quality. See, that's the thing. Like, yeah. I feel like, I feel like, mm -hmm. to, to be honest, 
Oh, that... oh, let me just help you with that one, which is why I said as much as possible. Okay. Yeah. Here? Yeah. You know, I, I, I worry because, you know, I'm, of course, being a filmmaker, and I've mostly, I've mostly worked, I've mostly worked in the short film space, okay. right? Where you, you can get away with 50K, you know, budget, yeah, uh, 60K, you could get away with it, max 100K. Yeah. But, and that's in Kenya. Yeah. In Uganda, it could be around the same amount, maybe cheaper, no, and I think it's there's a different kind of system working there. The economy is not as, you know, yeah. Kenya's economy is a bit more expensive. I mean, the cost of living is higher, so mm. I guess. Especially in Nairobi. Exactly, and also exposure to internet, more international projects. People have different kinds of different. Um, Basically, the word? John. Strong international yes. competition. Exactly. Yeah. So, so even if you get someone to come down to your budget level, you know, I mean, I worked on a film and, you know, the crew are paid a really small amount of money every, every day. And I won't say the amount because someone may listen to this podcast from abroad and come here thinking they can <laughs> get that for that money. Hey, yeah. you know, I say, ah, in Africa is cheap. My friend, it's not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> people, people rely on favors. In fact, if anything, crews, cast and crew are literally investing in the film. Yeah, that's literally. Happens. Yeah. But then, when the producers make money, they don't share it with the with the cast and crew. Yeah. But but also, if you get a job <laughs> from doing that film you don't share that money with the producer no no no, no I, but see i i have realized <laughs> i've walked into a very deep hole <laughs> i will just no, it's say, we, will, we will navigate it we will navigate it together so remove your producer hat okay. and basically look at it from the outside and think about for this for this film for this film to be made mm-hmm. yeah needed a certain amount of money which money you didn't have so you, you ask the crew for favors yeah now what i think should normally happen mm-hmm. and i'm saying this also walking myself into a very big hole for the future is basically sign contracts with and cast and say look yeah when this film makes a return yeah we will split this money up to the point of where your normal rate you get yeah. as we have covered your rate on the film and maybe a little more as a bonus yes because mm-hmm. without the collaborators you would never have made that film whether they were those ones or others yeah. the same yeah. same scenario i understand i agree yeah I, I in fact i completely agree with you i i think just i i love looking at the world of banking yeah because it's an unbelievably brutal world mm-hmm. but we live in a very brutal world oh yeah yeah we've been able to tame it over the last maybe 200 300 years but it's still a very brutal world mm. and ex- 
I I would say advice to creatives and filmmakers. First of yes. all, you are a small business person. Mm. And when you're starting a business, a very smart man said this to me at one point. When you're starting a business, mm. there are two things you have to start with. Yeah. An accountant and a lawyer. Oh, yeah, I think you told me. Because you are now <laughs> in the world of business. You're no longer just in the world of art. Yeah. And every business must have a support system around it. So mm-hmm. As an artist, you don't have a support system. You're preparing yourself for failure. Now, one mm. way to do that, a conversation with a producer is easier to stomach for both sides. Because you mm. are able to understand where they're coming from. They are able mm. to understand where you're coming from. You're able to protect mm. yourselves and each other. Because mm. I truly believe very few people want to be taken to court or to be dismissed online. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go to court, mm. honestly. And everyone assumes that those services are expensive. And to be honest, they do cost money, but you'd be surprised how affordable it can be. If you call in favors, if you reduce the scope of work, if you do some research on your own, mm. it can be ridiculously affordable. Yeah. Yeah. So having said that, yes, producers do take advantage, but I do believe for the most case, most artists allow themselves to take advantage be taken advantage of well would it, okay so leave the ones who have no clue or just are doing it be, could be out of blind ambition or just to get their faces on the screen uh-huh. what about the ones who are friends like i tend to work a lot with my friends and you know i'm like look guys let's make this film are you willing to work on these terms yes now so far, my films have not won awards. They've not made any money, mm-hmm. right? Which is, which is in a way, okay. Mm-hmm. However, should I start to earn money, then that means those proceeds have to be split evenly with the rest of the cast and crew because if you think about it, it's like a partnership. And you know that, that company structure of partnerships is that if there's no agreement on the split, it is split 50-50. Well. Yeah, no, but I, and that's the thing, like a lot of a lot of creators are going to get themselves into a mess yeah. when, I'm saying when, yeah. they start to make money. Because at some point in this here life, whether it's tomorrow or 10 years from now, they will start to make money. Yeah. And if we continue like this, then the situation of going to court yeah. is going to become more and more prevalent as people know learn about their rights. Uh, you know? And understand, I understand. Mm. Well, I I wouldn't be able to confirm and say that partnerships without a prior agreement are fifty fifty. I honestly don't know much about them, but what I do know mm. is. as much as you possibly can, always do a contract. Now, if you don't do a contract, you're basically 
alienating your right to cause, let me say, commotion later. Because mm. you're saying it's okay, it doesn't matter that much to me. And unfortunately, in law, ignorance is not a defense. You can say, oh, I didn't do mm. this or that. Now, having said that, you're doing films with your friends, yes? Mm-hmm. It's okay to do favors. It's okay to help out your friends. I mean, they are your friends. You'd, well, probably, you'd ask them to help you move. You'd ask mm-hmm. them to, you know, uh, take you to your mom or, you know, uh, help out someone else. You'd ask them for help. They'd ask you for help. So it is a friendship, even if it has a creative stroke work relationship attached. So if it's a favor, it's a favor. Yeah, but where does the favor stop? No, you know, that's, that's what I want. I'm trying to understand. Yeah, that that's where you have uncomfortable conversation with your friend. And say, hey, this guy, I'm willing to help you. But if you make a Bob, I want 50%. And then they're like, hey, 50% and you just did sound work. How will I pay cameraman, caterer, actor? <laughs> That's not my business. How am I supposed to pay my rent? But you see, now it's, <laughs> con- no, it's become a conversation. It, it should okay. be. Yeah, I think, but I, but you are right. Yeah. There, need, there needs to be paperwork. There needs to be an, a formal agreement because not just because even if the uh it's not it's not a funded project mm. and i've worked on a couple of those and so yeah even if there's no agree there's no money exchanging hands at least there should be terms that state mm. the working relationship whether there's an expectation of yeah. compensation later yeah. or whether this you have decided for fair and good compensation, consideration, as they use the terms, mm-hmm. to give your service yeah. for whatever it is you guys agree on. And that needs to be stated clearly. So that's something I, at least I'm getting from what you're saying. Yes. But also, it's it's really not a bad thing to do a favor. And if you are... No, no, no. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And if a friend... but, but you see, you can't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can't prove a favor with verbally, right? In the future, if it was an email, if there was an email in existence, you can't prove it. If there was a WhatsApp message, you can't prove it. If it was an if it was just a verbal agreement, that's all it is—a verbal agreement, and very hard to enforce in court. Yeah, true. I I, I think just to maybe bring this home. Mm. It's it's to be honest, it's a minefield. It's a challenge for yes. creatives and basically everyone all over the world. It manifests itself mm. more so in the creative industry. Yeah. But just generally try to complete it as early as possible before doing the job. Mm. And I think really the first step is having an internal conversation with yourself and saying, hey, mm. I'm willing to do pro bono projects. 
I'm yes. willing to do pro bono projects, but with a conversation around maybe getting, let's call it a token in future. Or yeah. I'm only doing projects that have that I get paid for. And mm. this is my minimum rate. So even if my mother comes to me and says, I need you for this project, it's for free. The conversation I had with myself was that, no, mom, dad, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. So that's a really step one. That internal conversation where you decide what you can and can't do. Yeah. yeah. Then now okay. you're able to have that conversation with other people. Because if you wanted, let's say, for example, a hundred K and they have no budget and you're okay, it means the conversation you had with yourself is you'll try to make money where you can, but if you can't, it's okay, it'll still work. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. We've um we've talked about quite a number of things. Yes. <laughs> I feel like we're half, half halfway. No, I, like I feel like there are a lot of things that we'll talk about in future. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But like, it was good to touch on all these things and uh, a lot about marketing, developing a business, um, um, like basically having uncomfortable conversations. And I wonder whether we'll ever get to a point where money is no longer an uncomfortable conversation. And that's probably rooted in the fact that our religions, um, Protestant, okay, basically the Bible mentions the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. Although people misquote that verse and say money is evil, is the root. Actually, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is evil. Well, I, I believe the lack of money creates more evil. I mean, okay, depends on how, okay, and we could get philosophical about it and say um, it is the, the value you attach to money that leads you to make decisions that lead you down that path. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, as much as money is an enabler, it's not the end all or be all yeah. because there are people with money, a lot of it, gazillion, like tons of money, yeah. and they're unhappy. Well, their quality of life is not the best. Then there's those who don't have a lot of it and are basically living, you know, living their best life, doing what they need to do. I have an interesting statistic for you. Please, drop the last one and then we can call it a day. (laughs) Uh, I'm telling you, we have another 30 minutes, but it's okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll shorten. <laughs> you know we actually hit the one hour mark already. <laughs> no, I know. We can split it into one and part two. <laughs> yeah, consumer day for five minutes each. Oh my god. You know how much editing that's going to be for me? Cutting that thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. continue, please. You just cut in the middle, like you know, like a knife. <laughs> just cha. And then you, you know, you put okay. two pieces of video and say. Part two coming next month. <laughs> you know, like those, those, those Nigerian, those Nollywood movies. Yes. To God be the glory. Yes. End of part one. <laughs> Shoot it in like two weeks. Oh my God. They shoot an entire one and a half hour movie and they switch into two parts. And you're like, guy, 
Sky two parts of a movie. Yeah. More money. Those guys know how to make money. Oh, Marvel takes five years, they take two weeks. Hey. <laughs> okay. So you're telling me about you're giving me a statistic. Oh yes. So uh this is from the US. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like extremely verified. I just had an analogy where it was mentioned. Mm-hmm. Rate of suicide among, let me say, wealthier people and their children. Yes, are four times higher than the poor and middle class. Okay, why do you why do why why do why do why do you say that? Okay, why why is it so? They do they explain? Fortunately, smarter people than me explained, and they say mm-hmm. it's called affluenza. Oh, the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> affluenza. Yes, so the disease of affluence. Wow. And it's after the there are a few segments to it, but it's basically after the accumulation of all this wealth. There is mm-hmm. not really a lack of happiness, but there's nothing to strive for. Oh, like like you've reached the end of basically the pinnacle of what you've been striving for. Mm-hmm. You have you now have everything in the world or the access to everything or anything. Well, more to and... the first part than the second part. So it's you've achieved everything you wanted to. Mm. Because I think about it like this, the wealthiest of the wealthy, sometimes yeah. it doesn't make sense to ask mere mortals that this person or this president or this ATC has so much money and so much wealth, but they wake up every day, they work very hard, they still suck, mm. they do the whole 10 hours a day, 15 hours a day of work. And the okay. reason is just very simple they have not achieved what they desire to achieve Mm. and for some of them there's no end goal in sight okay so let's let's think for example world's richest man jeff bezos Mm. wealthier than our whole nation yes He basically combines Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania, I'm sure. I was about to say that, but it's good. So, Uh for you and I, we'd maybe assume that this guy has done it all, that he will like me. Yes? That's a fair assumption, Mm -hmm. yes? Yes. But this guy wants to go to Mars. An almost impossible goal, yes? Yes. He probably wants to con- grow his company, control a few more industries, create some substantive change in the social economy of his country, etc. etc. So every single day, he has something to try for. Mm. So affluenza is the lack of that, the lack of something to strive for. So that's really part one. Part two is the bar being set so high and so much pressure around it 
that it creates a form of affluenza. So this is where children of the rich have uh, suicidal thoughts, drug abuse, uh, and other very specific ailments. Mm -hmm. Part of the considered reason is that they're so wealthy that their parents expect more and better from them. Because that's the natural yeah. inclination of a parent. Yeah. You want your child to have a better life than you did, do more than you did, live better than you did, yes? Yes. So think about it from the perspective of someone who's already wealthy. So you went to maybe a normal university, you want your children to go to Ivy League. Mm. And then to be straightest throughout, you want them to become a doctor or lawyer best in their class. You want them to ETC, ETC, ETC. And that creates a significant amount of pressure on the child. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a very fascinating conversation and thought process. Hmm. It's it's the misery of wealth. And it's part of what people maybe talk about when they speak about their unhappiness while wealthy. Whenever, whenever I think about having a lot of money, I, I, I think about what the possibility will be with having all that money, all the things I could do, like all the films I could produce, all the businesses I could start. But then I come back to the thing of, it's almost like I want the money away from me. Yeah. You get. Yeah. I don't like I, I want to have enough in the bank but you're for a safety net so that I can get my basically because I, I was actually thinking about it today. Like what I what do I really need? I need food, clothing, shelter, health. We can add security, yeah. but security and kind of a partnered. So food, clothing, shelter, health, and security. Five things. That's all I want in this world. Well, someone that, no, that's love and affection I, is very should be very helpful. What love and affection? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. No, okay, love and affection. <laughs> okay. we're splitting hairs. Yes, yes. The clean drinking. <laughs> but, but yes, I will say health. We will talk about physical, emotional, psychological. Okay, smart man. So. Yeah, so if we're going to plug, but like that, that those are the five basic needs. Like once you have that, like you really don't need anything else because you have good relationships or at least sustainable relationships. You're able to eat. You have no worries. I feel like if I, like even, I even, I even talk, think about like what kind of house would I build? I'm thinking I want just three bedroom house, four bedrooms two cars that's it maybe i'll buy another house or two other houses but not i don't want to accumulate property that i'm now sleepless wondering have they broken into my houses what tax am i going to pay on these houses yeah. like it's just it's too much and i can get the whole affluenza situation i can get the affluenza situation of now you have no purpose because for me i'd be like look can you take that money away from me can you just give it to people who don't have it yeah. and i'm not saying these people are trying to pretend i'm i'm holier than anyone else but I'm, because i'm not it's just that i'm i have an aversion for a lot of it because it brings a lot of scrutiny which i really don't like yeah whereas if you're giving it away it's almost like 
the attention is on the things you're giving to as opposed to you. Yeah. Because now everyone knows Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world. Now we know. 200 billion plus. Now we know. I didn't even know we had gotten to 200 billion. I thought we were like 100 million. I think I blinked for five years and now we're 200 billion. Yeah, in five years. 150, somewhere there. Jeff Bezos. Yeah, could okay, be I, I could be wrong. I, I really don't keep up, but yeah. No, no, no. You could be right. Anyway. Let's ask Google. Splitting hairs, I guess. Again, but it doesn't is one yeah, 147.2. So you 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 are you are you are in the in the region. But see, that's the thing. Like I'm wondering to myself, what is all that for? Like, why would you accumulate all that for yourself? Yeah. But then he said an interesting now, thing a few years yeah. back. Uh-huh. He said, uh, I am worth, I think at the time it was around 80 billion. Yeah. He said, I'm worth 80 billion. My company is worth 800 billion. Mm-hmm. So I have made other people 720 billion. <laughs> that and so fascinating never thought about it like that yeah yeah you know you never think about the other shareholders company he's built the value he's given because in as much as we can definitely have a conversation around the morality and legality and just general humanity of that level of wealth Mm. it doesn't happen in a vacuum yeah. No man technically becomes wealthy on their own. That is true. Yeah. You stand on the shoulders of giants and yeah. you know, the little man yeah. pushes you up, elevates you. I guess at the end of the day, it's about rewarding those who are acknowledging the ones that, that supported you on the way up. Yeah. Wow. You. Me, I need to end this session. <laughs> and I know you want to talk for another. What we'll do, we'll have you back for another session. And this, and then we'll, we'll talk about something totally different. You know, if you we'll need to do an extra 10 minutes, we'll hit the... <laughs> no, I actually need to eat. And I have an assignment I haven't completed that I'm supposed to deliver today. Okay. These are those parts you edit or don't edit. Of course. Duh. Okay. Just chop, okay. slice, snip, snip. <laughs> yeah thank you so much dean for being on this on the show and for your time and uh yeah if you guys want him back look he's available he's in like we're socially distant and we're talking so wherever i am in the world you know and wherever he is in the world we can always get in touch and come back on the show so put the comments in the comment section on our facebook page or yeah let us know what you think thank you so much dean have a great day and uh let's speak soon okay my pleasure thank you for having me uh can't wait for the next one uh oh yeah have a great one thanks (laughs) thank you for being part of the take six africa film podcast we really hope you enjoyed it 
please feel free to leave questions, comments, and suggestions on what you would like to hear on the show on our Facebook page at Take Six Film. This episode was produced, mixed, and edited by me, Samuel Tebandeke. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you're listening right now. Please take a moment to subscribe, give us a rating, and share with others. For now, and until the next episode, it's a wrap.